The lady with the dog. It was said that a new person had appeared on the seafront. A lady with a little dog. Dmitri Demirich Groff. Who had been, had by then been a fortnight at Vietra. So I was fairly at home there. I began to take an interest in new arrivals, sitting in Verani's pavilion. He saw him walking on the seafront, a fair-haired lone lady, a medium height, wearing a barret. A white Pomeranian dog was running behind her. And afterwards, he met her in public gardens, in in the square several times a day. She was alone, walking alone, always wearing the same barrette, always with the same white dog. And we knew who she was, and everyone called her simply the lady with the dog. If she is, if she is here alone, without husband or friends, it wouldn't be amiss to make her acquaintance, Goroff reflected. He is under forty, for he had a daughter already twelve years old, two sons at school. He had been married young when he was a student, his second year, and by now his wife seemed half as old again as he. She was a tall, erect woman, a dark eyebrows studded and dignified. She said of herself intellectual. She read a great deal, used prophetic spelling, called her husband not Demetri, but Demetri. He secretly considered her unintelligent, narrow, inelegant, was afraid of her did not like to be at home. He began being unfaithful for her long ago. Been unfaithful to her often, and probably on the count always spoke ill women, and when they were taught about his presence, used to call them the lower race. It seemed to him he had been so schooled by bitter experience, he might call them what he liked, yet he could not get on for two days together that lower race. Society of men, he was bored and not himself. With them, he was cold and uncommunicative. But when he was in the company of a woman, he felt free and knew what to say to them, how to behave. He was at ease with them, even when he was silent. His appearance and his character, his whole nature, there was something attractive and elusive about Lud, which a lot of women disposed. Them in his favour, he knew that, and some force seemed to draw him to them. One evening he was dining in the gardens, and the lady in the barret came up slowly to take the next table. Her expression in her gait, her dress, the way she did her hair, told him she was a lady, that she was married, that she was in Yetta for the first time alone, and she was dull there. The story told of morality in such morality, so places Yelta ought to be great extent and true. He despised them. He knew that such stories were, for the most part, made up by persons who would themselves have been glad to sin if they had been able. But when the lady sat down at the next table three paces for him, he remembered these tales of easy, of easy conquests, of trips to the mountains and tempting thought of a swift, fleeting love affair, a romance with an unknown woman, whose name he did not know, suddenly took possession of him. He beckoned coaxingly to the Pomeranian. When the dog came up to him, he shook his finger at it. Pomeranian growled. Gavrov shook his finger at it again. 
Eliza looked at him and at once dropped her eyes. He won't bite, she said, and blushed. Why I give him May I give him a bone? he asked. When she nodded, he asked curiously, courteously. Have you been long in Yota? Five days. I've already dragged out a fortnight here. There's a brief silence. Time goes fast, and yet it's so dull here, she said, not looking at him. It's only the fashion to say it's dull here. Provincial will live in Brodorov or Zindia and not be dull. When it comes here, it's, oh, the dullness, oh, the dust. One would think it came from Grenadia. She laughed. They both continued eating in silence like strangers. But at dinner, they walked. Well, after dinner, they walked side by side. They sprang up between them. The light gesturing conversation people were free and satisfied, to whom it does not matter where they go or what they talk about. They walked and talked for a strange light on the sea. The water was a soft, warm lilac hue. There was a golden streak from the moon above it. They talked how sultry it was after a hot day. Golarov told her how he came from Moscow. He had taken his degree in arts, but had a post in the bank. He was trained as an opera singer given it up that he owned two houses in Moscow. From her he learnt she had been grown up and she had grown up in Petersburg but had lived in Essenta since her marriage two years ago that she was staying another year in Yalta that her husband who needed holly too might perhaps come and fetch her. We're not sure whether her husband her post in the Crown Department or under the Provincial Council was amused by her own ignorance. And Gavra learnt that she was called Anna Sagrotovia. Afterwards, he thought about her in a room at the hotel. Thought she would certainly meet him next day and make sure to happen. It would, it would make, be sure to happen. To get her to bed, he thought how lately she would have been a girl at school, doing lessons like his own daughter, who called a different reference, Yangality, and still manifests her laughter, her manner of talking with a stranger. This must have been the first time in her life, been alone in the surroundings which she had followed, looked at and spoken to merely with a secret motive, which he could hardly fail to guess. He called her slender, delicate neck, her lovely grey eyes. There's something pathetic about her, anyway. He thought and fell asleep. A week had passed since he had been made acquaintance. It was a holiday, it was sultry indoors. But on the street, the wind swelled, the dust wound around, blew people's hats off. It was a thirsty day, and Golarov often went into the parlour, Lillian, and dressed, pressed Anna Sigurdhavi to have syrup and water or ice. One did not know what to do with oneself. In the evening, when the wind dropped a little, he went out to Nagomi to see the steamer in come in. There was a great many people walking about the harbour. They gathered to welcome someone, bringing bouquets. And the two peculiarities, a well-dressed Yoto crowd, very capricious, the only women were dressed like young ones, with great numbers of generals. Owing to the roughness of the sea, the steamer arrived late after the sun set, and it had a long time turning about before it reached the Golovi. Anna looked through the logaretti at the steamer and the passioner as though looking for acquaintances. When she turned the Golov, 
Her eyes are shining. She talked a great deal and asked to connect the questions, forgetting at this moment what she'd asked, and she dropped Logretti in a crush. Festive crowd began to disperse. It was too dark for to see people's faces. Linda completely dropped, but got off and Anna stood st- st- still stood as though waiting to see someone else come from the steamer. Anna was silent now and sniffed the flowers without looking at Galaroff. The weather is looking better this evening, he said. Where shall we go now? Shall we drive somewhere? She made no answer. Then he looked at her intently. All at once his arm all at once put his arm round her, kissed her lips, and breathed the moisture and the fragrance of the flowers. He immediately looked around, anxiously wondering whether anyone had seen him. Let us go to your hotel, he said softly, and both walked quickly. The room was closed and smelt with scent he bought at a Japanese shop. Gareth looked at her and thought what different people one meets in the world. From the past he preserved Memories of careless and good-natured women, who were cheerfully and more grateful to him for the happiness he gave him, however brief it might be, and other women like his wife, who loved without any genuine feeling, with superstitious praises, affectionately, hysterically, an expression that was suggested not love, nor passion, but something more significant, and of the two of the three others, very beautiful cold women, whose faces he caught a glimpse of a rapturous expression, and of abstinent desire to snatch from life more than it could give and they were, these were capricious and reflecting dominating unintelligent women but not in their first youth and when Govler grew cold of them their beauty excited his hatred a lace and their linen seemed to him like scales but in this case, there's still the difference, the angulity of the experienced youth, an awkward feeling, there was a sense of consternation, as though someone had suddenly knocked at the door. The attitude of Anna, the lady of the dog, to what had happened was somehow peculiar, very grave, as though it was for her. It were her fault. So it seemed, and it was strange and inappropriate. His face dropped and faded on both sides if of her long hair, hung down mournfully. She moves at a dejected attitude, like women who were a sinner. No fashion picture. It's wrong, she said. You may be the first to surprise me now. There's a watermelon on the table. Go over and cut himself a slice. Can eat in it without haste. There followed at last. Half an hour of silence. Anna was touching. There was was about her purity of gold a simple woman who seen little life. So a candle burning on the table threw a great light, light on her face. It cleared that she was very unhappy. How could I despise you? asked Governor. You don't know what you're saying. God forgive me, she said. Her eyes filled with tears. It's awful. You seem to feel you need to be forgiven. Forgiven? No, I'm bad, low woman. Despise yourself. I don't attempt to justify myself. Not my husband, but myself I have deceived. And only just now I have been deceiving myself for a long time. Husband may be good, honest man, but he's a flunky. I don't know what he does there, but what his job is. I don't know. He's a flunk. I know he's a flunky. I was twenty when I married him. I have been tormented by curiosity. I wanted something better. There must be a different sort of life. I said to myself, I wanted to live, to live, to live. I was fired by curiosity. Don't you don't understand it? 
but I swear to God, I do, could not control myself. Something happened to me. I couldn't be restrained. I told my husband I was ill and came here. Here I've been walking about as though I'd been dazed like a bad creature. Now I've become a vulgar, contemptible woman whom anyone may despise. God, I felt bored already listening to her. He was irritated. A native tone by this morose, so expected, unrepublicate, but for the tears in her eyes he might have thought, suggesting and playing a part. I don't understand, he said softly. What is it you want? She hid her face on her breast and pressed close to him. Believe me, believe me, I beseech you, she said. I love a pure, honest life, and sin is loathsome to me. I don't know what I'm doing. Simple people say, evil ones beguiled me. I may be said to myself, now that evil ones beguiled me. Hush, hush, he muttered. He looked at her fixed, scared eyes, kissed her, talked softly and affectionately. By degrees, she was comforted, and her gaiety returned. They both began laughing. Afterwards, he went out there was not a soul on the seafront. The town, its compresses, was quite a deflux there. But the sea still spoke, broke noisily. On the shore, a single barge was rocking on the waves, and a lantern was blinking, sleeping on it. They made a, found a cab and drove to Okoshonia. I found out your surname in the hall just now, written on the board. Von Dutteris, said the governor. Is your husband a German? No, I believe his grandfather was a German, but he's an Orthodox Russian himself. As I know, they sat at a seat, but not far from the church, looked down the sea, was silent. Yanda was hardly visible through the morning mist. White clouds stood motionless, as on the white wind mountaintops. Leaves did not stir on the trees. Grasshoppers chirped, and a monotonous hollow sound. The sea, rising up from below, spoke to the peace. The eternal sleep were waiting us. So it must have sounded when there was no Yota, no Oshana here. So it sounds now. It was sound as indifferently, monotonously, when we are all no more. And this is complacency. It is complete indifference. The life of death of each of us lies hid, perhaps a pleasure pledge of our eternal salvation, of the increasing movement of life upon earth, of increasing progress towards perfection. Sitting beside a young woman, who in the dawn seemed so lovely, smooth, smellbound in those magical surroundings. The sea, the mountains, clouds, and the open sky. Gather thought how, in reality, everything is beautiful in this world, where one reflects everything except that we, mu- we think or do ourselves when we forget our human dignity, the higher aims of our existence. A bear walked up to them, probably a keeper. Looked to them and walked away, and this detail seemed mysterious and beautiful too. They saw a steamer come from Trafodador, with its lights out in the glow of the dawn. There is dew on the grass, said Anna, struggling for there. After silence, yes, it's time to go home. They went back to the town. Then they went every day at twelve o'clock at the seafront. Lunched and dined together, went for walks, and by the sea, she complained how she slept badly, that her heart thumped violently, asked the same questions, troubled by jealousy, now by the fear he did not expect her significantly. And often in the square of the gardens, when there was no one near, he suddenly drew her to him and kissed her passionately. Complete idleness, these kisses in broad daylight, 
while he looked around in dread of someone else, someone seeing him. The heat, the smell of the sea, continual passing to and fro from behind him, or idle, well-dressed, well-fed people, made a new man of him. He told Anna how beautiful she was, how fascinating. He was impatiently passionate. He could not move a step away from her, while she was often pensive and continually urged him to confess he did not respect her, nor but did not love her in the least, and thought of her as nothing but a common woman. Rather late, almost every evening, the day drove, sailing out of somewhere out of town to Rowena, to the walls of the waterfall, the expedition, which always successful, the scenery invariably impressed them as grand and beautiful. They were expecting a husband to come, but a letter came from him, saying that there was something wrong with his eyes. He treated his wife to come home as quickly as possible. Anna Skorolov made no haste, made haste to go. It's a good thing I am going away, she said to Gorov. It's the thing of destiny. She went on by coach and he went with her, driving for the whole day. When she got to the compartment of the express, then when the second bell rang, she said, Let me look at you once more. Look at you once again, that's right. She did not shed tears, but was so sad she looked seemed ill. Her face was quivering. I shall remember you. Think of you, she said. God be with you, be happy. Don't remember evil against us. We are parting forever. It must be so, for we ought never to have met. God be with you. The train moved rap- off rapidly. The sound light soon vanished from sight. A minute later, there was no sound of it. Of it. Though something conspired together to end as quickly as possible, slight sweet delirium, the madness, left alone on the platform and gazing to the dark distance, got off, listened to the chirp of the grasshoppers and the hum of the telegraph wires, feeling as though he had just waked up. He felt musingly, been another episode of adventure in his life. It too was at an end, and nothing was left of it but a memory. He moved sad and conscious of a slight remorse. This young woman, whom he had never met again, had not been happy with him. He was generally warm and affectionate with her, but yet in his manner, his tone, his careless dresses, there had been a shade of light irony, a coarse condescension of a happy man, besides, almost twice her age. At the time, she called him kind, exceptional, lofty, Obviously, he seemed to her different from what he really was, so he was unintentionally deceived her. His station was already sent of the autumn. It was a cold evening. It was time for me to go north, poor Goloff, as he left the platform, high time. At home in Moscow, everything was as it, as it was in a winter routine. The stoves were heated. In the morning, it was still dark, and the children were having breakfast and getting ready for school. A nurse would light the lamp for a short time. Frost had begun already. The first snow had fallen. On the first day of sledging driving, it was pleasant to see the white earth, the white roofs, to draw off delicious breath. The season brings back the days of one's youth. The old limes and birches, white with horse first. There is a good-natured expression. It is nearer, nearer, nearer to one's heart and compresses and palms and near. One doesn't want to be thinking of the sea and mountains. Golov was Moscow born. He rode in Moscow on a fine frosty day. He put on his fur coat 
of warm gloves and walked along Petrov. When uh, on a Saturday evening he heard a ringing of the bells. In recent trip and places he had been seen lost all charm to him. Little by little became resolved in Moscow life. Greedy read three newspapers a day and declared he did not read the Moscow papers from principle. He already felt a longing to, to go to restaurants, clubs, dinner parties, anniversary celebrations. He felt flattered for, to entertain him, distinguished lawyers, artists, playing cards with a professor at a doctor's club. He could already eat a whole plateful of salt fish and cabbage. In that month he fancied the image of Anna Skrodov, where he shouted and list of his memory, only from time to time would visit him in his dreams, a touching smile as others did. But more than a month passed. Real winter come, and everything was still clear in his memory. Though he parted with Anna Skrodov only the day before, his memories glowed more and more vividly. When in the evening stillness he heard, he studied the voices of his children, preparing the lessons when he listened for the song, the organ at the restaurant, or the storm howled in the chimney. Suddenly everything would rise up in his memory of what had happened on Angola. Early morning in the mist of the mountains, the steamer coming in for Faradosa and the kisses. He would pace a long time for his ro- in his room. The past was mingled with what was to come. Adam Skavroff did not visit him in the dreams, but followed him about everywhere, like a shadow haunted him. When he shut his eyes, he saw her as though she living before him. She seemed to him love, lovelier, younger, tender, as she was. Imagine himself finer than he had been in the altar. In the evenings he peered out to him, the bookcase from the fireplace, from the corner. He heard a breathing, the caressing rustle of her dress. The street he watched a woman, women looking for someone like her. He tormented by a tense desire to confide his memories to someone. But his home, it was impossible to talk about his love. He had no one outside, he could not talk to his tenants, nor at anyone to anyone at the bank. What had he to talk of? He'd been in love, then. Had there been anything a beautiful, poetical, edifying, or simply interesting in his relations with Ernest Rothwell? There was nothing for him but to talk vaguely of love, a woman that no one questioned. It meant by his wife twitched her back eyebrows back eyebrows and said, A part of a woman killer does not suit you at, at all, Dimitri. One evening, coming out of the doctor's club, the official with whom he had been playing cards could not resist saying, If only you knew what a fascinating woman had made acquaintance of Vinuta. official got his sledge onto his sledge and was driving away, but turned suddenly and shouted, Dimitri Dorodolov, what? You're right this evening. The sturgeon is a bit too strong. He was so wrongly, for some reason, moved. Dodorov got off to the indignation, struck him, degrading and clean. What the savage means, what people, what senseless nights, what interesting, eventful days, the rage of plague, crying, car playing, the gluttony, the drunkenness. Continual talks about the same thing, and use of pursuits and conversations, always about the same thing, dying things. It's all the better part of one's time, better one part of one's strength. And in there, there's left a life grovelling and curtailed, worthless and trivial, now escaping or getting away from it, just as though one was in a madhouse or prison. Godolov did not sleep at all, all night and was filled with indignation. 
He had a headache all the next day, and the next night he slept badly. He slept up in bed, thinking of pacing up and down his room. He was sick of his children, sick. He was sick of his children, sick of the bank. He no desire to go anywhere or talk to of anything. In the holidays, his son made prepared for a journey. He told his wife he was going to Petersburg. So, do something that interests a young friend. He went off to Sovetia. Where? What for? He did not know well, know well himself. He wanted to see Anna. Celebrity to talk with him. He to arrange a meeting if possible. He reached Celebrity in the morning. They took the first best room in the hotel. He reached the floor was covered with grey golden cloth. On the table was an ink stained grey with dust and adorned figure on horseback. With a hat in his hand. His head broken off. A hotel porter gave him the necessary information. While Doritz lived in a house of his own in Old Scrofty Street, not far from the hotel, he was rich and lived in good style, and had his own houses. Everyone in the town knew him. The porter to pronounce named Doritz. Godorov went without haste to Old Scrofty Street, found the house just opposite that house, stretched a long grey fence adorned with nails. One could run away from a fence like that, thought Godolph, looking to the fence, the windows, house and back again. He considered the day was a holiday. The husband would probably be at home. In any case, it would be tactless to go into the house, upset her. If he were to spend and send her a note, it might fall in husband's hands. It might ruin everything. The best thing was to chance was to trust the chance. He kept walking up and down the street by the fence, waiting for the chance. He saw a beggar. Go to the gate and dogs fly at him. When an hour later he heard a piano. Sounds of faint and indistinct. Probably it was an playing. The front door suddenly opened and an old woman came out, followed by a familiar white perlomanium. Godolphin was at the point of calling to the dog, but his heart began beating violently. Excitement he could not remember the dog's name. He walked up and down and loathed the grey fence more and more. By now he thought it inhibited irritable that Anna Sagrophily had forgotten him, perhaps already amusing herself with someone else. It was very na- very natural in a young woman who did nothing to look at from morning to night but the confounded fence. He went back to his hotel room and sat for a long time on the sofa, not knowing what to do. Then he had dinner and a long nap. How stupid and worrying it is, he thought. He woke and looked at the dark windows. It was already evening. Here I had a good sleep for some reason. What shall I do in the night? He sat on a bed which was covered by a cheap grey blanket, such as one sees in hospitals. He taunted himself in vaccination. So much for the lady with the dog. So much for the adventure. You're a nice fix. That morning at the station, the poster and large letters caught his eye. The geisha was to be formed by first name. He thought of this and went to the theatre. Quite possible you may be at the first performance, he thought. The theatre was full. As for all in provincial theatre, there was a fog above the chandelier, galleries noisy and restless. Front rows of the local dandies are standing up before the beginning of the performance with their hands behind them. The governor's box, the governor's daughter wearing a boa, was sitting in the front seat, while the governor himself lurked menacingly behind the cousin, with only his hands visible. The auction had a long, was a long time turning, tuning up 
stagecoach and swayed. All the time the audience was coming in, talking, taking their seats, Golilov looked at them eagerly. Anna came, too came in. She sat down in the third row, where Golilov looked at her, his heart contracted. He understood clearly that for him was in the whole world no creature so near, so precious, so important to him. So she was this little woman, in no way remarkable, lost of a virtual crowd, a vulgar literate in her hand, filled his whole life now, with his sorrow and his joy, and what happiness he could now desire for himself, the sounds in literature, wretched provisional violins, he thought how lovely she was, he thought and dreamed. A young man with small side whiskers, tall and stooping, came up, came in with Anna and sat down beside her. He bent his head on every step and seemed to be continually bowing, continually bowing. Most likely it was this was the husband whom a Yota would have rushed to feel a better feeling. He called a, a flunky. A very was his long figure, his side whispers and a small black patch on his head, something of flunky obscureness. His smile was sugary, his buttonhole was some badge of distinction, like the number on a waiter. Jennifer said of all, the husband went away to smoke. She remained alone in the stall. Goliath was sitting in the stalls. Two went up to her and said in a trembling voice, with a false smile, Good evening. She glanced at him and turned pale. They glanced again with horror. Unable to believe her eyes, tipped tightly, lit, gripped a fan and logged in her hands, eventually struggling with herself not to faint. Both were silent, she was sitting, she was standing and frightened by her confusion, not venturing to sit de- down beside her. Violins of flute began turning up, tuning up. He felt suddenly frightened. It seemed as though all the people in the boxes were looking at them. She got up and went quickly to the door. He followed her, both walked senselessly. Among passages up and down stairs and figures in legal, solitic and civil uni- service uniforms, all wearing badges, fitted with their eyes, before their eyes. They caught glimpses of ladies, of fur coats hanging on pegs, a draft blew in them, bringing a small smelled stir tobacco. A girl left his heart was beating, violently fault. Oh heavens, why are these people here? And this orchestra. And... At that instant he recalled how he'd seen Anna. Off the station, he thought everything was over. He would never meet again, but how far they were still from the end. And a narrow, gloomy staircase, over which was written to the amphitheatre, as she stopped. How you have frightened me, she said, breathing hard, but still pale, overwhelmed. Oh, how you have frightened me. I'm half dead. Why have you come? Why? Do you know, do, but do understand, Anna. Do understand. Hastily, a low voice, I entreat you to understand. She looked at him with dread and identity. With love, she looked at him intently, to keep his features more distinctly than memory. I am so unhappy, she went on, not heeding him. I have thought of nothing but you all the time. I live only in the thought of you. I wanted to forget, to forget you, but why, oh why have you come? I lay in him above them. Two schoolboys were smoking, looking down. There was nothing to go off. He drew Anna to him, again kissing her face, her cheeks, her hands. What are you doing? What are you doing? she cried in horror. Pushing her away. We are, we are mad. Go away today. Go away at once, I beseech about you. But all that is sacred, I implore you. There are people coming this way. Someone was coming up the stairs. You must go away, Anna went on, on in a whisper. Do you hear me, Dimitri? 
I'll come and see you, Mo- Moscow. I, I have never been happy. I'm miserable now. I never shall be happy. Never. Don't make me make make me suffer. Still more. I swear. I come to Moscow. But let us part, my precious good dear. We must part. She pressed her ha- his hand and began rapidly going down the stairs, looking round at him with her eyes. He could see she suddenly was unhappy. Girl stood for a little while, listened. Then, when all the sound sounded dried away, he found his coat and left the theatre. And Anna began coming to see him in Moscow once or two. In two or three months, she's left us. Left her husband, she's going to consult the doctor about internal complaint. Husband believed her and did not believe and did not believe her. In Moscow, she stayed at the Stefanov Bazaar Hotel. At once, sent a man in red cap to Kovalev. Kovalev went to see her, and that one in Moscow knew of her. But she's going to see her. This way, winter morning, the messenger had come as meanly before when he was out. With him walked his daughter, whom he wanted to take to school. He was on her way. Snow was falling in wet flake, big wet flakes. Three degrees below freezing point, and yet it's snowing, said Gloroff, his daughter. Before it's only on the surface of the earth. Quite a different temperature and a greater height in the atmosphere. Oh, why are there no thunderstorms in winter, father? Explain that too, he walked, taught, thinking a while he was going to see her, not knowing, no living soul knew of what it probably never would know. He had two lights, one open, seen, and known by the, all who cared to know, full of relative truth and of relative falsehood, exactly like the lives of his friends and acquaintances, other lives running its course in secret. Those and those some strange, perhaps accidental, conduction of circumstances. Everything was essential, of interest, of value to him. Everything in which he was sincere did not deceive him. Everything that made him curl his life was hidden. The other people, that was false in him, a sheaf of which he hid himself to conceal the truth. For instance, his work in the bank, his discussions at the club, his low race, his presence with his wife at the anniversary festivals. As he's all was open, he judged by others by himself, not believing what he saw, always believing that every man was real, most interesting life, under cover secrecy and under the cover of night. All personal life nested, vested in secrecy. Possibly he was partly on account. Civilized man was so nervously anxious. Personal privacy should be respected. After leaving his daughter at school, Glorfo went on the Savala Bazaar. He took off his fur coat below and went upstairs and softly knocked at the door. Anna, wearing his favourite grey dress, exhausted by the journey and the suspense, been expecting him since the evening before. The pale looked at him and she did not smile. He had hardly come in when she fell on his breast. The kiss was slow and prolonged, as though they had not met for two years. Well, how are we getting on there? Yes, what news? Wait, I tell you directly, I can't talk. She could not speak, she was crying. She turned away from him, pressed her handkerchief to eyes. Let her have a cry out, or sit down and wait, he thought, and sat down in an armchair. When he rang and asked for tea, he brought her. He drank his tea, some 
she remains standing in the window. Her back to the room, she is crying with emotion, with a miserable conscience of those life so hard for them. They only met in secret, hiding themselves from people, like thieves. Was not their life shattered? Come, do stop, he said. It was to him that his love of theirs would soon be over. He could not see the end of it. Anna grew more and more attached to him. She adored him. She was unthinkable to say to her, it bound to have an end some day. Besides, she would not have believed it. He went up to her, took her by the shoulders, and to say something affectionate and cheering. At that moment, he saw himself looking glass. His hair was already beginning to turn grey. So strange to him, he had grown so much older, so much plainer than during the last few years. The shoulders of which his hands rested were warm and quivering. He felt compassion for his life. His life still so warm and lonely. Lovely. But probably already too, not far from beginning to fade, withered like his own. Why did she love him so much? He always seemed to, to women different from what he was, and they loved him in what they loved in him, not himself, but a man created by their imagination, whom they'd been eagerly seeking at all their lives, and afterwards, when they noticed their mistake, they loved it, him all the same. Not one of them had been happy with him. Time passed, he made the acquaintance, got on with them, parted, but he did not once love, never once loved anything you like. If anything you like, might not love. And now his head was grey, he was fallen properly, fully in love, for the first time in his life. Anna, he loved each other, like people, very close and not kin, like husband and wife, like friend or friends. Seeing him that fate had meant them for one another, they could not understand why he had a wife, she a husband. It was only a pair of birds on a passage, caught and forced to live in different cages. They forgot each other what they were ashamed of in their past. They gave everything in the present, and felt that this love of theirs had changed them both. In moments of oppression and past, he comforted himself with any arguments that came to his mind. How he no longer cared for arguments, he found profound compassion. He wanted to be sincere and tender. Don't cry, my darling, she, he said. You have, you've had your cry. That's enough. Let's, let's talk now. Let's just think of some plan. He went, spent a long time while talking, taking counsel together. Talked how to avoid the necessary secrecy for deception. But living in different towns and not seeing each other for a long time. T- time. How could he be free from his tolerable bondage? How, how, he asked, clutching his head, how? It seems as though as little like while a solution would be found, and then a new and splendid life would begin. As clear to both of them, they had still a long road before them, and the most complicated and difficult part of what was just beginning.